Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm so glad you're with us today. Um, today, we are finishing up our series entitled Coming Face to Face with Jesus. We've been spending the last number of weeks walking through John's gospel. God inspired John to write an account of the ministry and uh, teaching of Jesus in an amazing way uh, through a series of face-to-face encounters. And today, we're going to wrap up this series with uh, a lesson from John chapter 21, where Jesus has a face-to-face encounter with Peter after his resurrection, after Peter has denied him, and how Jesus restores him is what this lesson is about. So if you've ever blown it in your life, if you've ever made up your mind, this time I'm going to get my life straight, Lord, I promise you, and then you've failed and you've wondered, can God actually forgive me? Can God restore me? Well, I'll tip my hand here a little bit and say, yes, he can. And today is a great day of encouragement for you. So how many of you have ever blown it in your life? Okay, the rest of you are still struggling with lying. That's okay. We're fine. We're fine. We'll get to that. Uh, But (laughs) we all blow it. And I've got good news for you today. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me, and he came to restore us even when we blow it. And this is a chapter of great encouragement. I want to welcome the folks who are worshiping with us via video at Pike Road and at Cloverdale. And today there was even a group that was uh, having a dry run over in Wetumpka. And so, uh, yeah, you can applaud that. That's great. So uh, we're glad everybody's with us today. Would you have a word of prayer with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And it is a great day to study your word. And I thank you for this encouraging lesson from John chapter 21. I pray, Lord, that you will encourage us and we'll leave here today closer to you. We all blow it, Lord. Even when we make up our minds, this time I'm going to get it right. We lack the strength without your strength. And so we come to you. That's why we come. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak, move me out of the way, and teach us what you want us to know from your conversation with Peter. In the strong name of Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, take some notes, just raise your hand, and one of our ushers will come uh, bring you a pen. After he rose from the dead, this is point one on your outline, Jesus appeared to Peter and six other disciples while they were fishing. If you were not with us on Easter Sunday morning... Uh, a week ago, uh, then you need to understand this, that Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. It was placed in a tomb, and on Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. He appeared to some women who came to the tomb, later to, to his disciples, and he told them to go ahead of him to Galilee, and he would meet them there. And this is an account of one of the times when he met them there. So in John chapter 21, verse 1, it starts out this way. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. I'm going to stop after just one verse. It's really important that we make a note here. Jesus is alive. Would you say that with me, please? Jesus is alive. That's not just something we need to note on Easter. It's something we need to remind ourselves of all the time because it changes everything. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Luke wrote this in Acts 1-3, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says something similar. He says, Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And so the people in Corinth, when he started church, if you're doubting the reality of the resurrection, you can write, I'll give you names. This really happened. This isn't a fable. It's not a myth. It's not a made-up story. It's not anything like that or just an old legend. This is true. In the margin, if you could write one more reference, I didn't have room for everything, write down 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John, the same guy who wrote this account of Jesus after uh, he'd risen from the dead, later wrote a letter in his life. And he said this in 1 John 1, 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This actually happened. Jesus is alive. Now that matters and there's a life application for you and me because Jesus is alive because he rose from the grave. You and I can be confident that nothing, and you can write this in all caps, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can. Nothing stronger than Jesus. He proved it. He overcame the grave. Who then will condemn us? I mean, people have always thought, well, if I'm a sinner, a filthy, rotten sinner, and I am, how will I ever be able to stand before a righteous, holy God on judgment day? I can't, and neither can you, unless my sins have been paid for and forgiven by Jesus. But he could only do that if he was God in the flesh. Right. Well, how would he prove that? By rising from the dead. Well, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus has died for us and raised and been raised to life and was raised to life for us and he's sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us can anything ever separate us from Christ's love no overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us and i'm convinced that nothing could ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life nor angels or demons neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love and so whether i'm scared to death with a worry about today or a fear about tomorrow whether I'm battling a temptation by the de- from the demons of hell or whatever I'm going through in my life, I can run straight to God and be confident of his love and of his forgiveness and that he hears me because Jesus rose from the dead. And that is good news. It's funny um, because it was just a, little, a few days ago, I was in a Walmart and I met somebody there. Was, uh, they were shopping. They had a young their son with them and stuff. And he goes, oh, I know who you are. You're that you're that preacher from the hotel. You're the hotel guy. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's me. And he said, you shout a lot. And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, So I'm the hotel guy who shouts a lot. All right. But I will tell you this. Anytime I talk about the fact that Jesus is alive, I'm going to say it and say it loud and proud. I mean, this is great news for you and me. Neither angels or demons or our worries about today or our fears about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And that is such good news this morning. There's good news in the life of Simon Peter and the other disciples. Think about where they were. They had traveled with Jesus for years. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd experienced God's power flowing through them. God did miracles through them. And yet when it came time for Jesus to be executed and face a mockery of a a trial, they all deserted him. Cowards. They even denied him. Any hope for them? Well, let's see. Several of the disciples were there, and this is back to John's account, starting with John 21, verse 3. They're up in Galilee. That's kind of in the northern part of Israel next to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was executed down in Jerusalem. Well, several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. Peter had been a fisherman by trade, so he went out to fish. 
So they went out in a boat. They got nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, caught any fish? No, they replied. And he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this account, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat, pulled in the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast. Jesus had told them he'd meet him in Galilee. And this might seem kind of like a random thing that they'd been fishing all night. And now Jesus kind of shows up. It wasn't random at all. In fact, there's a life application for you and me. Jesus calls those who follow him to be fishers of men. I'll explain that in just a second. This whole thing had been set up by Christ. He knew exactly what they were going to do. And he waited until they'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. Because he wanted to remind them of how he'd called them in the first place. In Luke chapter 5, we find an account that had happened years earlier. Jesus had been teaching. Large crowds were following him. He was casting out demons, healing the sick and the lame and the blind. And so crowds followed him wherever he went. He, went, he ended up at the seashore, the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds were pressing in on him so much, they were pushing him into the water. Well, Peter and his Brother Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, had been there. They'd been fishing all night together, hadn't caught anything. And they would drop these nets in the middle of the night and fish, and that was the best time to do so. They'd fished all night, come up empty. So they were just cleaning the nets, preparing for the next night to go try again. And Jesus shows up. And he gets in Peter's boat, and he says, Peter, I'm going to use your boat as a platform from which to teach. Push out a little bit, and then the crowds can be seated on the seashore, and I'll teach from here. And so Jesus taught several lessons. And when he finished teaching, he said, Peter, I want you to go and take your boat out in some deeper water and you'll catch plenty of fish. In fact, here's how Luke records it in Luke 5. And Peter, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied. Peter was a fisherman. He knew the best time to fish and this was not it in the middle of the morning. Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please forgive me. Please leave me. I mean, I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. And Jesus replied, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. If you go back to that other story we just read, they were fishing all night again. Hadn't caught anything again. There's a guy on the shore telling them to go throw their net out again at a place they hadn't tried. And it's all of a sudden filled with fish. John had been there the first time and he learned over to Peter. He goes, Peter, that's the Lord. This is the same thing. This is Luke 5 all over again. And Peter swims to the shore. Jesus was doing a reboot. I mean, these were guys who had blown it. And Jesus brought them right back to where he called them the first time. And he was reminding them, hey, I'm the guy who told you where the fish were the first time. I still know where they are. I'm the guy who called you into ministry the first time. I'm still calling you into ministry. 
You were too much of a sinner to be around me the first time. I knew you were sinners going in. Let's go fishing for men. And so this was no accident. Jesus had the whole thing rigged to remind them, I love you, I called you, follow me. Now I say all that this morning because some of us are here this morning and you need a reboot. If I, get, if I hear it once, I hear it twice every month in an email or a phone call, somebody goes, you know, I came to Centerpoint, somebody invited me and I thought, well, I could come to a, try this out. I haven't been in church in forever. And as you're reading this, this is a, there's, a pass, there's a passage of scripture or there's a song that was sung and I realized, man, God had a call on my life. I should have answered it years ago and I didn't do it. I drifted away. Now I wonder if God still loves me. But the way you were talking today, I got the idea he loves me anyway. Well, I'm hoping you're getting that idea. He loves you anyway. You know, we give up on God and we say, we think God gives up on us. Well, we give up on him. He never gives up on us. Did you know he died on the cross knowing you and I were sinners? Did you know that? You know, the Bible tells us that he knows exactly how weak we are. He was the one who told Peter that he was going to deny him before it had ever happened. And yet he's the one saying, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Remember me. So I'm here today to tell you that God calls all those who follow him to become fishers of men. If you've drifted away from the task and you've forgotten who you are and what you're about and why God called you, well, come on back. Let's get busy. Come to Jesus. Come home. What are you waiting for? Jesus told all of us, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Jesus told them that just a few days after this whole fishing incident. Wasn't that long after that. It was right before he ascended into heaven. He said, I'm sending you. He was sending the same guys who had denied him, the same guys who had failed him, same guys. And he's given that task to us. And the reason why he's sure we can get it done is we're relying on his power and his strength, not our own. You'll see more of that as we go along. And that brings us to point two. Jesus restored Peter by giving him three opportunities to publicly profess his love and devotion. So they're having breakfast and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And if you'd underline, you know I love you, we'll come back to that in a minute. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. Now, if you think that Jesus was being hard on him and saying, three times calling him out, do you love me? Well, remember this. Here's an important note. When Jesus was falsely arrested, Peter had denied him and denied even knowing him three times. And it wasn't after he'd been beaten and tortured for hours at the point of death, he finally broke down under pressure. That wasn't it at all. Peter had followed Jesus and the others who had taken him to the high priest's home where there was a mockery of a trial going on, and Peter stood outside warming himself by a fire. 
And all of a sudden, a servant girl, this is from Matthew 26, a servant girl came over and said to Peter, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Jesus had said, you deny me just a few hours before. Before the next morning, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Wasn't under extreme pressure. Wasn't with a sword at his throat. Two young girls and some bystanders. And Peter was just panicking, failed miserably. There's a life application for you and me in this. You and I must never think we're above failing or falling. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Better have a sober assessment of how strong you really are I mean, hours before he denied him, here's what Peter had said. Jesus had been sitting at the Last Supper with his disciples saying, y'all are going to desert me. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny deny three times you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And Peter had stood there cape in the wind going, don't worry, I'll stand by you, Lord. (laughs) Super disciple, even if these others all deny you, I won't. Not unless two young girls and some bystanders come up. And what happened was he had completely failed. And now Jesus was bringing him back to the place where he had called him originally and said, Peter, I'm still calling you. But I hope you notice a tone that's different in Peter's answers. I'd ask you to underline before you know that I love you. This time when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter didn't put the cape back on and go, Lord, I love you. It wasn't that at all. It was, Lord, you know I love you. He's even hurt by it. Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Yeah, but this time, Peter, you got it right. This isn't about you relying on your own determination. It's about following me. This isn't about thinking you're better than all the other disciples. Lord, even if all these others fall away. Well, Simon Peter, do you love me more than all these others? Well, Lord, you know I do. You know everything, and you know my heart. I love you. All right, now we're in business, Peter. See, if you and I are going to follow him, we've got to come to terms with this fact. I'm not doing God a favor by following him. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for me. I come to him for forgiveness. I come to him for wisdom. I come to him for strength. I come to him for new life. I come to him for the whole shooting match. And I've got no business claiming strength of my own. So 
So no more bravado here. Jesus restored him. And now he was ready to do ministry in God's strength, not his own. That brings us to another life application. The good news is when we fail and fall, we must never forget that God is in the restoration business. And this is how I started out. Look, this is a message for all of us here. How many of us this year on January 1, New Year's resolutions, this year, Lord, I'm going to lose weight. This year, Lord, I'm going to control my tongue. This year, Lord, I'm going to control my temper. This year, Lord, I'm going to have a quiet time every single day and read my Bible. This year, Lord, and we were good up to January 3. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? You can count on me, Lord. 2014. Yeah. Hey, why don't you rather come and say, Lord, with your help, if you grant me self-control, I'll have it. If you give me strength, I'll do it. You know, Lord, how weak I am. You know. Now we're talking. But I want you to know this. This whole chapter is in here for people who've blown it, like the disciples, like Peter. Have you blown it? And you think, well, God doesn't love me because I said I loved him. I said I would, and then I fell away. Well, so did all the, all the disciples. That's why the story's in here. Come to Christ and be forgiven. Now, I do want you to know, Peter had changed through the whole process. The first time with the miraculous catch of fish, when he realized it, Peter told Jesus, get away from me, I'm a sinner. The second time with the miraculous catch of fish, Peter jumped out of the boat and swam right toward him. Convinced of his sin more than he ever was, man, I need Jesus. Hey, look, if you've blown it and you've been far away from God, don't let the lie of the devil get in your head. Hey, you're a sinner and Jesus hates sinners. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. Hey, you've blown it. God can never forgive you. Jesus came into the world to forgive people. He loved Peter. He loved the disciples. They all deserted him. He'll forgive you and me too. Let's get busy and get toward him. Peter later in his life wrote this in 1 Peter 5.10. If you read all of 1 Peter 5, right after he talks about how the devil is coming after us like a roaring lion looking for souls to devour, he says this, and the God of all grace, and grace means undeserved kindness, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong. Isn't that interesting? Years later, Peter reflected on this. Hmm. God himself will restore you. Paul, a guy who, before the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, was a man who had tortured and beaten and mistreated lots and lots of Christians. When he finally came face to face with Christ, was changed completely. He went around preaching about God's grace and God's restoration. He probably fell on his face many times asking God to help him face people, family members, other relatives of people whom he had mistreated and beaten and jailed. In Galatians 6.1, this same guy, Paul, wrote, Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. You and I don't need to think we're all that. No cape in the breeze. We just need to humbly come and say, God, restore me. And when I have the chance, help me restore others. Again, I got to believe there are people here today 
you, you're here today and you can't believe we're talking about this because you have even told yourself and you have listened to the lie many times. I should have done this years ago. I could have followed Christ then. I could have done these things, but it's too late now. God's given up on me. No, it's not. Come to Jesus. There's still plenty of fish to be caught. He let the disciples get up there in Galilee because he wanted to hit a hard reset, reboot the whole thing. Let's get going. And Peter needed a chance to publicly affirm his faith just like he had publicly denied Christ and Jesus gave it to him. And maybe today you're here because you need to be reminded that God isn't finished with you yet. And Jesus would simply be saying to you, John, let's get going. I still know where the fish are. I'm the one who came to save you anyway. Come on. Well, the story goes a little bit further. And again, this is a face-to-face encounter here. After the breakfast, apparently Jesus and Peter went for a walk. And John was following behind them. And point three points out that Jesus informed Peter that he indeed one day would become a martyr for his faith. Remember, Peter had said, Lord, even if everyone else denies you, I won't. I'll die for you. Well, he failed and all that. But Jesus said, well, Peter, the truth is you will indeed die for me. Here's how he said it. When you were young, Peter, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. To stretch out your hands was to carry the cross beam of a cross and people would lead him up to a hill to be executed just like they had Jesus. According to Christian tradition, Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus, the one whom he betrayed. And then Jesus told him, I want you to follow me. Well, Peter turned around and saw behind him John, the disciple that Jesus loved, the one who'd leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him, Lord? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. The original call had been, Peter, follow me. The call is still the same. Peter, follow me. And Peter, you will end up dying for me. Well, what about him, Lord? Hey, my plans for him are my plans for him. Peter, you follow my plans for you. And there's a life application for you and me in this. Jesus wants me to follow his plans for my life and not compare my assignment to others. And circle the word compare. Comparison just makes us miserable. You know, when your mama taught you to mind your own business, mama was right. That's true in every part of life. It's true in ministry. It's true in our calling from the Lord. I'll never forget the first job I had coming out of uh, college. Uh, It was an engineering job. And uh, the first supervisor I worked for, we filled out the paperwork for the job. And he said, I'm just going to give you a free tip that'll help you be happy in life. And I said, what's that? And he said, "Um, don't ever try to find out what other employees here make. He said, if you like, if you're content with your salary, then be content with it. If you think you need more, then apply for a raise and do your best to earn it. But don't go around trying to figure out what everybody else makes and why they're making more or less than you. He said, it'll just make you miserable with whatever you have. It's true in our lives. We can be perfectly content with something until our neighbor gets a new car. Even happened in ministry. When I started in ministry, I'd start out in ministry at the same time some other guys did. And some of the ministry assignments I had were hard and difficult and slow going and slow to grow. And this other, I remember once, 
And a friend of mine in ministry, man, his stuff just took off like gangbusters. And I was complaining to an older minister about this once and saying, it doesn't seem fair. I'm working just as hard as he is. And how come all of his ministry is blessed? And he's got all these opportunities and stuff. And he goes, so John, you got in this for notoriety and success? And I went, well, no. And he goes, well, it sounds like it to me. Note to self, don't ever bring this up again with this guy. Okay. <laughs> well, John, why are you comparing yourself? Did God call you where you are? Yeah. Well, maybe he's teaching you some things that you need to know, and he's teaching that guy some things that he needs to know. And maybe he can handle success better than you can. That ever occur to you? Note to self, never ask this question again, okay? We do it all the time. We can be blessed, have a wonderful family, wonderful job, all these things, but somebody seems to have a better job or a better family, and now I'm complaining. What if God called you to go through some hard times right now because maybe there's something in your character and my character that needs to be hammered out? Would that be okay with you if God was getting you ready for heaven? Does he need to ask your permission on that? Paul, Galatians 6, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Peter had to learn a couple of things. Peter, you can't do this in your own strength. You're not Superman. You need me from get to go. It was my idea to call you, not the other way around. And Peter, I restore you. I'll restore you. Come to me. And Peter, by the way, don't compare yourself with others. And as soon as Peter stopped relying on his own strength, got over any notion that God couldn't forgive him and could still use him and wasn't trying to compare himself, then God could use him. Now, maybe you're here today and you need to hear the same three things. I'm figuring since God wrote it in the Bible, maybe we all do. So I'd like to have a word of prayer for us. And then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And God, I just pray that you'll forgive us for being selfish and comparing ourselves to others and Lord for having pity parties once we blow it and saying, oh, the Lord will never forgive me. He can't use me. I'm damaged, bruised fruit, no good. Lord, we believe every lie that the devil throws out there. But Lord, you've risen from the dead and you've proven there's nothing that can separate us from your love. And we need to do what Peter did. Swim right at you. Of course we blew it. Of course we failed. You knew that going in, we weren't strong enough. That's why you came. And Lord, you're working on me with some things and you're working on other people here on something else. I need to mind my own business and quit comparing myself to everybody else in the world. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm so self-centered and so childish. Now, if the Lord's spoken to you about these things today, do some business with him right here. You heard it from his word just like I did. God, I thank you that John was faithful to write this stuff down, and I pray that we'll be faithful to listen to it and apply it to our lives. Lord, there's still plenty of fish to be caught. You haven't returned yet. And so, Lord, I pray that we will see this day as an opportunity to be fishers of men, that we will not shrink back, that when we fail, we'll confess our sins and get right with you again. We won't go around comparing our assignment to others. Maybe, Lord, you have us in a difficult situation because we can handle more difficulty than the next guy. Maybe, Lord, 
You're trying to help me get rid of a sinful habit and grow up a little bit. Maybe, Lord, you're trying to give me some endurance. Forgive me for being a crybaby, Lord. Help me to trust you more. Trust myself less. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to spend some time um, together celebrating the Lord's Supper the night before he was crucified, that night when Peter betrayed him and all the other disciples fled. Right before all this, Jesus had reminded them that this was his plan from the beginning to die. He told them that he would be crucified, but they didn't understand it till the next day how it all fit together. In fact, at the Passover meal they were observing together, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, guys, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it. I want you all to eat of it. So they passed the loaf around. They all ate some of the bread. This is my body broken for you. I want you to do this often. As often as you do this, remember me. Remember what? Jesus' body was nailed to the cross for my sins and yours. He died so we could live. I deserve God's wrath poured out on me. I'm the sinner. He was sinless, and he took it all. And so in a minute, we'll let you go pick up a piece of bread yourself, and then we'll all eat the meal together because we all need this together. After the supper was over, Jesus took a cup of wine. He asked his disciples to pass it around too. He said, this is my blood. I want you to drink of it. 